traffic is pretty heavy now. Perhaps I should give you an escort. Make sure you don't get lost again. Sounds like a good idea. If we make good time, perhaps we can share a beer at the airport. Love to. We've missed our flight. The next one is in 22 hours. Then I guess we'll share a lot of beer. It's a movie about sex trafficking, but with a lot of laughs and a doofus main character. We are still up all night, and this episode we watched Kickboxer 3. Hello, everybody, and welcome to USA Up All Night with me, Aranda. Hi, I'm Gilbert Gottfried, the comedian in the cupboard for USA Up All Night. In this movie, you'll see two of your favorite stars. Now, if you drink enough beer, you'll start seeing more of your favorite stars. Stay with me on USA Up All Night. Welcome to Still Up All Night. You know what we do by now. We celebrate the awesomely bad and sometimes surprisingly good films of USA Up All Night. I'm Travis Yates. Joined by my dojo partner and co-host, Rob Katie. Rob, how you doing? I'm well. Yourself? I'm fantastic. Uh, You know, if you listened to our last episode, which I hope you did, on Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, we got pretty deep in a discussion of feminism and implicit messaging in B-movies. So, Rob, you know, we discussed this and we intentionally looked for something a bit lighter and you can never go wrong with a good martial arts movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so sure that holds true, my friend. Unfortunately, though, that's kind of what we thought going into the movie. And uh, another reason is uh, my son just started karate. And I'm sure as many of our listeners have memories of uh, when they were kids in the 80s, as karate was sweeping the nation, thanks to Hollywood, of course, Bruce Lee films of the 70s, and then later the Karate Kid franchise in the 80s. But I know for me, Rob, it was the B-movies that got me into martial arts as a kid. I mean, American Ninja, The Last Dragon are two that stand out to me. Rob, a couple of questions as we delve into young Rob's life here. As a kid, were you into martial arts, into karate, as it was just essentially known then? And uh, what early karate films were influential for you? A hundred percent was what uh, took lessons for a number of years. My father uh, ended up achieving his black belt. Uh, um, sort of part of our weekend ritual, my dad and I, we sat down and watched the awfully dubbed kung fu movies. And I probably couldn't name a single one that we watched, but we watched them when ever they were on and my dad was a huge Bruce Lee fan so if ever there was a Bruce Lee movie on it was getting watched by us uh, so yeah I made up a, a huge part of of my childhood even uh, so much so at one point I, I got a full you know ninja outfit and uh, stalked the neighborhood as a ninja so yeah went through all, all those paces huge fan of martial arts films even even to this day if they're you know done well yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about the, oh, maybe the judiciousness that we have as we watch our martial arts films today versus back then. But yeah, uh, same same thing. If there was a, a, a karate movie, a ninja movie, a martial arts movie on however you want to define the genre, 
I wasn't turning away. Rob, I even still have the first throwing star that I ever got. Heck yeah. <laughs> I bought it at the Peoria, Illinois Civic Center at some sort of festival that they were having there. Lots of karate booths, of course. And despite many moves and lost treasures, my Chinese star has made it with me through all the moves because, you know, you never leave home without the throwing star. Absolutely. And I don't know how many apartment deposits my mom lost because of the holes that I put in our walls throwing that thing in the house. So, Mom, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. And please know that at least I still kept the weapon of destruction. Yeah, I, I secretly assembled a small collection of of ninja-related uh, weaponry that uh, – was definitely not supposed to have and if my mom had ever discovered it yeah I, I would have lost it and don't remember over the years but again same thing multiple moves uh, yeah it was they all got lost in the shuffle and uh you know probably probably i had to you know <laughs> chuck them before getting caught is, is my guess throw the throwing stars yes right. yes <laughs> well speaking of weapons of destruction uh rob we've got the third in a long line of eight movies. Eight? It's Kickboxer 3, <laughs> The Art of War. Of course, a play on words on the infamous book by Sun Tzu. I call it a weapon of destruction because it was the first of the Kickboxer films to get the dreaded direct-to-video release. Though, yeah. in our world, that makes it podcast gold. Uh <laughs> Initial thoughts as we decided on Kickboxer 3 as this episode's film. We've made a huge mistake. <laughs> uh, uh, but you you just blew me away with 8. I, I thought they stopped at 5. And here now I see that, you know, just a few short years ago, they brought it back. Yeah. Let, well, let's dig into the to the genesis of the kickboxer franchise shall we rob we actually have canon films and chuck norris to thank for the entire kickboxer franchise so the original kickboxer movie made in 1989 of course starred jean-claude van damme van damme moved to or van damme I, i'm not sure on the actual pronunciation i've heard it done what it what is the J, uh, JCV, JCVD pronunciation, do you know? I just go with JCVD. I, <laughs> you know, it's been so long since I've actually heard him say it that, yeah, I, I don't know. And then the wrestler I've Rob always, Van Dam came along. Yeah. And yeah. that, you know. <laughs> Co-opted it. Yeah, right. So anyway, uh, JCVD, how about that, moved to the United States in 1982 with the hopes of becoming a Hollywood actor and one of his first jobs— any guesses, Rob? Uh, was it Predator, right? Close. Earlier and cheesier, it was an extra as a dancer in Cannon's Breakin' film. What? Really? Yeah. Yep. Really. <laughs> in the demonstration to save as, wait, the... As, wait, hold on, hold yeah. on. As a dancer? As a dancer. Because, I mean, we've seen him dance in <laughs> a couple of his movies, and it's not good. Well, that's why he was in the background of Breaking and not in the <laughs> foreground. But yes, he is seen in the big demonstration scene in Breaking in the background as one of the, the break dancer dancing to save the community center. So there you go. That was his that was his uh, his big connection to canon. And, uh, you know, 
now not a surprise with that canon connection, JCVD befriended Chuck Norris, and the two would actually become sparring partners. And uh, Van Damme did stunt work in the Norris film Missing in Action. Uh, and then he would also do some, some work in Predator that, that got cut. Yeah, uh, I'm Cannon, familiar with that stuff, yeah. Yeah, Cannon eventually realized that they had a big star on their hands, and his breakout role came in 1988's Bloodsport. So the following year, uh, Kickboxer was a natural fit, and seven films somehow would follow. So we have Cannon and Chuck Norris in a roundabout, or should I say a roundhouse sort of way, like that, uh, to thank for today's film, or uh, yell at for today's film. Um, but but yeah, that's the Cannon and Chuck Norris initially launched the star power of a budding superstar, JCVD. That's, yeah, that's dropping the knowledge today. I didn't know all that backstory. And then the progression of this franchise is quite comical. Uh, the films revolve around the Sloan family, and Van Damme, who played Kurt Sloan in the first film, declined coming back for Kickboxer 2 because he was filming Double Impact. Because, you know, two of JCVDs are better than yeah. one. And uh, so they kill him off in the second film and bring in actor Sasha Mitchell to play Kurt's younger brother, David, who was not in the first one, to avenge his death. And Kickboxers 2 through 4 would revolve around David Sloan. And then Kickboxer 5, Redemption, it's all about Matt Reeves, who is, quote, a family friend of the Sloans. And <laughs> I just can't help but laugh in thinking about the dinner table at a Sloan yeah. holiday gathering and how the Kickboxer movies matched the order of seating at the dinner table. Like, you've got Big Brother Kurt at the head of the table, Little brother David, a few seats down, and then the latchkey kid down the street, the family friend, Matt Reeves, way down at the end of the table. <laughs> or kind of, it's because it's kind of like when the Von Erichs started tragically yeah. dying and had to bring in uh, Lance Von Erich, the supposed but not really cousin of the boys. Yep, Matt yep. Reeves and Kickboxer 5 would be the equivalent of Lance Von Erich. So then, as you referenced, after an 11 year hiatus, it was decided that the world was ready for more Kickboxer. So in 2016, Kicks, Kickboxer 6, Vengeance, was made as a meta reimagining of the original film with Van Damme returning as Master Durand and Alan Moosey as Kurt Sloan and then Dave Bautista as the original villain, Tong Po. And here's the embarrassing part. I just realized I've seen that movie. Yeah, that that is embarrassing. I, I di honestly didn't know it was the connection <laughs> connected to, wow. to you know. I just thought it was a a new movie named Kickboxer Vengeance, not an actual continuation of the original story. Uh, and yeah, I don't know that Dave Bautista is even named in it. And well, even though it, he's taking on the role of the original kickboxer villain yeah. that um yeah so a number of years ago i watched that it's not very good um certainly better than what we watched Ooh. last night but uh it um there you go well and rob uh, kickboxer six was made for 10 million dollars do you know what the gross was oh 
It got a theatrical release? I I don't know. I, I think uh, it was just counting. Uh, I'll say six million. According to IMDb, Kickboxer 6 Vengeance, which was made for $10 million, grossed a little under $288,000 worldwide. <laughs> That's that, what we call you... a loss in the film industry, friends. And uh, How do you make two more? Yeah, despite that? <laughs> that, another Kickboxer was made in 2018 with a bunch of UFC guys. And then there is uh, one slated for production. Uh, so that would be then a... Um, oh, it looks like the, the 2018 one also has um, uh, the mountain from Game of Thrones in it, too. Okay. And, and Mike Tyson. So <laughs> okay. there you go. Hmm. But that's not what we're talking about. Today we're talking specifically about Kickboxer... Three. So, Rob, all jokes aside about the uh, later Kickboxer films, uh, it does make sense that in 1992 they went back to the well with Kickboxer 3. Mm-hmm. The sequel grossed almost half a million dollars uh, on its opening weekend, and it grossed more than $1.25 million with video sales. So clearly a money grab uh, for Kickboxer 3 with a handsome lead and some no-name actors. Kickboxer 3 debuted on USA Up All Night on June 7th, 1996. So definitely a late arrival to the party. And uh, it would air a total of four times, with the last airing on January 17th, 1998. And uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this before the show. of In searching, we, we wanted to find an, an actual ninja movie. And, uh, and we couldn't. And uh, Kickboxer... Three or four were the only options, really, that we had as, as, as far as the Kickboxer franchise go. And then there were a number of, of other films, but uh, this was the one ultimately decided upon. And uh, it was interesting, the lack of ninja movies, because I thought, given the gratuitous violence, the beheadings, the yeah. uh, death by throwing stars, that you know, that'd be kind of a natural fit for Up All Night. Wouldn't you no, think? that was exactly what I expected. I, you know... Am hard pressed now in my memory to figure out how I watched all those ninja movies if it wasn't on Up All Night. Like, <laughs> what was I watching them on? Uh, but yeah, I mean, there are plenty of uh, kung fu movies. And then, you know, we found Kickboxer and we found Van Damme's Lionheart in terms of just sort of more um, universal martial art films as opposed to strictly the you know, foreign dubbed Kung Fu flicks. Um, but yeah, not a single ninja movie, uh, a couple with ninja in the title, but you know, they were again, Kung Fu based. So, well, you know, Rob, the, the rise of movies like this with, 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 uh, John Claude Van Damme, the kickboxer franchise that kind of moved the genre away from your traditional ninja movie that those kind of coincided with the rise of up all night. So I'm just wondering if the producers of the show thought that, you know, a, a good old fashioned ninja movie was, was, was too outdated. Maybe even, <laughs> even for the young male audiences that it had yeah. on its hands. I don't know. That uh, is, is a surprising decision to come to if, if that's the case, but yeah, that, you know, sounds plausible. Yeah. 
So the film was directed by Rick King, not a Hollywood name by any stretch of the means. Uh, As a director, King has 12 feature films to his name. For me, most notably, just before making Kickboxer 3, uh, Rob, I don't know how, how much research you did on King. Any guesses to what film that was for King just before this? movie uh i don't remember i I know when i looked i i don't think i was familiar with any of his other films i'm sure you had to be familiar with one 1990s prayer of the roller boys starring Corey haim the post-apocalyptic i I don't think i ever saw that oh my goodness all right well side (laughs) side assignment for the co-host yeah must watch prayer of the roller boys um i but i what i found most fascinating it, it, about King is his credit as writer and co-producer on 1991's Point Break. Yeah, I saw that and and sort of, I think I saw that first. So thought, oh, here's a guy that had like a, um, a much bigger career after this film, you know. And then when I clicked, I was like, well, I don't know any of these movies that he directed. What what happened? Yeah, it's crazy to think and to to realize really that the director of Kickboxer 3 was the person who came up with the story for Point Break, literally while sitting on a beach in Malibu, just having learned how to surf himself and reading an article about a bank robbery, and that's how the idea for surfing bank robbers came to be. Wow, you did a deep dive on that one. Yeah, Ah. yeah. (laughs) You know, the story with King, he's a family man. He didn't ever want to turn down a, a good payday. And so that's how he ends up directing, you know, Prayer of the Roller Boys and, and Kickboxer 3. But, uh, but some pretty impressive behind-the-scenes yeah. uh, credits to his name. So pretty, pretty cool. Uh, so Kickboxer 3 was released on October 23rd, 1992 by King's Road Entertainment. Cannon was only involved with the original Kickboxer, and Trimark Pictures produced the sequel... So here we are now in our third iteration of the film with a straight-to-video production team. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned earlier, the movie stars Sasha Mitchell as David Sloan, the little brother of original protagonist Kurt Sloan. Uh, David Sloan, the lackadaisical world kickboxing champion, uh, is the best way to describe him. He's he's a doofus. And, uh, and well, it's such an odd choice, too, when you look at I mean, I never watched Step by Step, but had, you know, in channel surfing encountered it and saw him on that where he apparently plays himself. Yes. uh, Because that, you know, there are definite moments in Kickboxer 3 where that character Mm. is is identical to the Step by Step character of this, as you said, doofus. And it just seems like such a like, how did did he get here? In terms of in Kickboxer 2, 3, and 4, I believe, um, from, you know, at the time, I think he was doing step by step the whole time while these movies were happening. I'm assuming his looks and his background in martial arts, and that's it, because uh, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, he, he was best known at the time for his two-year stint on the TV show Dallas as J.R. Ewing's illegitimate son. And then, as you referenced, as Cody from the sitcom Step by Step. Um, and just, he, he, he couldn't be any further uh, opposed from his original 
uh, older brother Kurt Sloan in the, yeah. in, the, in the original <laughs> Kickboxer, and that takes the the films in just such, such a different direction. And um, apparently, despite his affable characters on TV, uh, Mitchell is known as being really difficult to work with on movie yeah. sets. So he thinks he's a bit too big for his karate britches, I'd say. And like the stories I read said he was often, you know, really aggressive and would threaten violence um, against other people involved in, in the production. And the, um, the director uh, indicated that he did this because he thought everyone thought he was stupid. And the director threw in, which he is. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed that little nugget. Yeah, when I did the the, the deep dive uh, into uh, Rick King, I I also found some quotes about comparing working with Corey Haim compared to Sasha Mitchell, and obviously Corey Haim's all of his problems are well documented. Yeah. And he said working with Corey Haim was essentially a, a dream compared to working with Sasha, Sasha Mitchell. Wow. So there you go. Uh, so an odd, an odd choice and an odd choice to stick with for, for three of these films where he wasn't essentially carrying the franchise by any stretch of the means at that point because now it was direct-to-video. It wasn't like it was still in, in theaters. Yeah. So uh, Dennis Chan stars as Zian, the Mr. Miyagi-type trainer for David Sloan, and the only character that officially ties this film to the original Kickboxer. Mm-hmm. And though not well-known in the U.S., Chan is an, an accomplished actor, producer, and director in the Hong Kong film market. Any memories yeah. of, of him in any other films, Rob? Uh, um, you know, I think my introduction to him was the kickboxer franchise and and don't remember anything else coming you know nothing jumps to mind that i've seen him in and i was sort of um saddened by his role in this film Mm -hmm. you know like they it felt like they markedly changed his character and he sort of became more of a uh comedic relief and uh I, i don't know just tonally there was a shift in this film uh, relative to one and two that, you know, I, I didn't appreciate mm-hmm. among other things, but uh, yeah, I have no recollections. I'm sure I've seen him in other things, but nothing jumps to mind. We'll talk a little bit later when we break down the plot about his character. Uh, and yeah, I definitely agree with you there. So finally we have Richard Komar as the antagonist, Frank Lane. Komar is Canadian-born, and according to the Canadian Movie Database, which is a thing, it's called Northern Stars. Uh, <laughs> Didn't know that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Komar comes from a long line of actors, and on his mother's side, there has been an actor in the family since the days of Shakespeare. So, fun wow. fact there. Um, and Komar is definitely a classic, that guy who was in that thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But Rob, I, you know, I couldn't place him in any other movies. Any recollection? Any recollections of our inept antagonist here with Richard Comar? Same thing. I knew the name, but I was like, man, what? and I couldn't think of anything else I, I'd seen him in. So yeah, certainly didn't leave all that much of an, an impression on me. But uh, you know, when you look at his IMDb page, you know, there's a huge list of stuff you would have seen him in. I just don't remember him in any of those things. And perfect casting. You know, I will say this about almost all of our Up All Night movies. 
maybe not necessarily for the protagonist, but the antagonists are almost so perfectly cast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll definitely agree with that. I I do think this, I know that like in the world of professional wrestling, I know that wrestlers always say it's so much more fun and easy to play a heel, Mm -hmm. which is the name, the term for a bad guy. Because you just get to really throw, put your chops into it and you know play sometimes these over-the-top characters. And I, I think that's what's happening with these movies, which are already silly to begin with. And then you get some of these actors who have been just smaller character actors throughout their careers. And then they, they just throw everything that they've got <laughs> at yeah. these ridiculous roles. And it really always works. Yeah, just getting their chance to finally... Um you know, all bets are off type scenario. I'm, I get to be the bad guy. Let's let's have at it. <laughs> let's go to town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about Kickboxer 3, shall we? The narrative here. Um, in the opening scene, we, we actually first start meeting our villain of the film, uh, as we just referenced, evil American Frank Lane, played by Komar, who basically runs a brothel. He kidnaps young Brazilian girls and then uses them as sex slaves for... Yeah. Uh, guests that come to his resort i guess it is it's never really fully explained what Mm -mm. it is that he runs but at some point he's got a little restaurant or a bar so um a very uh serious tone to begin this movie which then is uh, completely juxtaposed when we (laughs) next meet our protagonist the world kickboxing champion david sloan and his trainer zian as they're flying to Rio de Janeiro and uh, for, David is competing in a uh, championship bout and it's just this stupid comedic scene. David is wearing such an early 90s outfit. He's got these like loud red overalls with no shirt on underneath. And, you know, he's got this Joey Lawrence doofus charm that they think uh, is but it, it's anything but charming to me. Yes. I yeah, wanted to it, punch it, him in the face <laughs> the first time he appeared on screen what did you think when we we're first introduced to him you know if i would have thought he was trying to do like an impression of uh keanu reeves from bill and ted but then having seen him in step by step it's like no that's that's him that's just that dude he is a, you know this doofus uh or he you know thinks that's you know what everyone expects out of him so that's how yeah i I, I go with he's a doofus so and and now granted as we as as we just mentioned sex trafficking uh was introduced as the main conflict yeah for the film where i thought you know here you you know you queue up a movie called kickboxer three and i'm expecting okay, here comes kickboxing, and we immediately go to sex trafficking. And, yeah, I was already a little like, well, what is this movie? Yeah, of, of all the crimes that they could use in this film, which was clearly going for a more lighthearted tone than, the, than its predecessors, mm-hmm. but yet went all in on, on just one of the, the most uh, evil crimes you could possibly imagine (laughs) so an interesting narrative choice there Uh, all right so so they arrive in rio and they're having lunch in an outdoor restaurant when they encounter some poor street hustlers that turn out to be a brother and sister marcos and isabella and uh, after the kids try and fail to steal david and zian's camera um 
And after uh, Marcos had pulled a knife on David, which we'll come back to that, uh, they're taken in by the American duo. So David and Zian learn that Marcos and Isabella's mom is dead and their dad is in prison for stealing food to feed them. And it's almost like for the rest of the movie, this is the foursome that we almost always see on screen. Yes. Which is just an interesting, like we get it. Choice for it. You made a connection to these young kids. We get it. And then... But then it's like, every, you know, you could cue up some fun, lighthearted music as they're <laughs> toiling around <laughs> Rio, you know, and seeing the sights and stuff is ridiculous. Uh, okay, so the next day, David is set to perform in an exhibition at a charity kickboxing event because those are a thing, apparently, yeah, <clears throat> down yeah. there. And we meet Sloan's competition in the upcoming bout, Martine, played by yes. Ian Jacklin. So, Rob, um, Jacqueline, to me, was a cross between Peter Dinklage and Patrick Swayze, <laughs> and maybe a bit of Arnold Schwarzenegger in there, too, with some Ivan Drago as well. I mean... Well, yeah, we definitely... I mean, just the way the whole scene plays out, it's it's all, you know, Ivan Drago and, and Rocky IV. It, yeah, the, you know, the exhibition match taken far too seriously and... He, right. I but, mean, uh, yeah, he punishes his weaker opponent just like Drago did to Apollo. Yeah. And I'm surprised they didn't go all the way. I was actually a little disappointed here to for building more conflict and, and have him kill, kill off this poor fighter because, oh, by the way, David was asked to be in his corner yeah. uh, for the exhibition match. So, well, it's totally where you would expect this movie to go, like set up the a larger conflict for the upcoming you know, championship match with he and Martin. So he would, you know, kill a guy in the exhibition match. And then we'd have to, you know, recognize him as this significant threat. And now we move to training montages and, you know, David preparing for the bout, but no, none of that (laughs) happens. And we go a totally different direction entirely. Yeah, uh, is this the last Jedi? Are we? Are we? Are we trying to subvert? Oh boy, we're, we get sidetracked on this argument every now and again, so we'll avoid that. Um, okay, so David and Zian uh, brought Marcos and Isabella to the charity event where Frank Lane sees uh, Isabella, and of course later that night have his men kidnap her. It's it's funny too because when when isabella first meets lane and then anytime they're on screen up until the point that he's kidnapped she is like always looking at him with these like kind of leery eyes like she's the only one of all of the adults around that picks up on this creepy vibe that lane is is, is, well just the fact that he keeps oogling her you know every time he sees nobody else else witnesses this you know and it, it got like some of that stuff with her got uncomfortable to me. Yeah. Uh, like she was, I think 15 at filming 15 or 16 and just to, you know, having her in that position and to get kidnapped and be put into the sex trafficking and the, the scene where they out, they go shopping to make the, the, um, Marcus and Isabella, um, presentable for the, the party. And they buy her this dress that it, I thought was like, way over the top for her age you know and and at that point like yeah i mean we knew where the movie was going because lane you know kept eyeballing her so much but yeah. it just yeah it got a little little uncomfortable for me yeah well even more uncomfortable for me when then after they he kidnaps her 
and the plan is to sell her and he has a doctor examine her and the doctor oh, come yeah. in, yes. comes in and says she's she's a virgin she's a virgin and i'm yeah, like okay that's... what is this is <laughs> all all the while we know that doofus david is you know running around on the you know other side of the narrative here and it's like ah oh, this is this is terrible um, so yeah, like you said, this, this now we know where the whole film is going. This sends David and Zian on a mission to find Isabella, and to do so, they have to work their way through um, a number of crooked characters in Rio, leading them to Bronco, um, the the man you want who has all the best girls, as he's described. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, David and Zian infiltrate Bronco's compound where just a hilarious over-the-top shootout occurs. For a movie that's literally called Kickboxer, there's a lot of gunplay in this movie. Um, yeah, there's so so little martial arts that I was like, what am I watching? You know, and, and I they have that brief moment, you know, to, to help establish that we're here in Brazil, where, you know, at the, at the beach and the the um, little scene where the different people are doing capoeira and they sort of explain the origins of that martial art. And, and I'm thinking, Oh, that, that'll come back in later. And, you know, cause again, I think I'm watching a martial arts movie and uh, now we're, you know, running around the house, you know, shooting at each other. Yeah. They, they take out, uh, not, I think like eight bad guys. It was, they were counting comically at one point. Uh, well, cause yeah, the, the, the one police officer tipped them off to, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There are seven guards in the house <laughs> to, uh, to help them out, you know, uh, and, and not implicate himself. At one point, one of them hilariously jumps out of an armoire who <laughs> yes. of course only get kicked and shot. Um, so they finally confront Bronco whose wife sells out Frank Lane as Bronco's partner but then, of course, they warn Lane ahead of time that the the, the pair are coming for him. So, Rob, uh, <laughs> I want to talk for a minute about David's outfits in this movie. <laughs> uh, I guess it's no fault of his, but there is a complete lack of style in this film. Uh, for most of the film, all of the film, really, he just <laughs> walks around in jogging pants and a cutoff T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point... His pants are like bright green. His shirt is purple, and he's wearing a pair of LA Gear pumps. Pumps, Rob. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. Do you that. remember those? The little air pumps <laughs> in the tongue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get that David is an athlete, but I mean these costume design choices make him look like a five-year-old dressing himself, which just adds to this childlike buffoon character that they've created. Instead of giving him, you know, I don't know, an adult. <laughs> Uh, attire outfit yeah well I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this was a case of of him choosing his yes. own you know wardrobe like in one of his his uh fits or tirades you know he was known for on set so he, he demanded i'm gonna you know <laughs> wear these pants because they're comfortable but this is what i wear i have to kick <laughs> oh that is funny and probably true um and probably they, they didn't give much pushback at this point if he's threatening yeah. violence on the set. Uh, okay, so back to the back to this narrative. When David and Zian show up at Lane's, uh, Lane and his cronies are, of course, waiting for them, and they have Isabella as a captive. So they're kind of 
they're they're hamstrung. They can't do anything here while they have Isabella at gunpoint. So David asks Lane what he wants, and Lane tells him all he wants David to do is show up to the fight with Martine. But he tells him that he needs some extra training first. And he does things like make David run around the compound at gunpoint wearing a backpack full of rocks. Yeah. Uh, takes him miles out to sea to swim back in. Uh, the point was to wear David down before his fight with Martine. And then, of course, Lane has a big money bet on the fight. Rob, this was such an odd sequence. I mean, he literally was only giving him training before a big fight. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> well, and it, we had to know, and and thankfully they didn't sub- subvert the genre. Be it like that, we, I, we knew a montage of training was coming at some point, and you know they we get it, we just get it in sort of the most ridiculous way possible, and uh, and that also brings in his his trainers. You know, somewhere early in the film, he makes the the one comment about uh, God. What is what is the quote? Um, Oh, I can't even find it in my notes about the the mind doesn't always travel with the body or something along those lines. And, you know, again, we think that is going to be sort of a uh, something that carries through the film where, you know, and it does happen in the training where he has to sort of separate his mind and his body in order to to finish digging this giant hole in the ground. But when he does, when he does that, it's a cutaway to him shirtless under a waterfall. Yeah. It was so (laughs) funny. It was like such a gratuitous placement for the ladies, the the one lady maybe watching this film. (laughs) And I was like, that had to be another choice demanded by Sasha Mitchell. (laughs) But again, you think that is going to come back in the final bout that he's going right. to struggle and have to separate his mind and body because of the punishment he's getting. But now, now it, it, it helps him, <clears throat> excuse me, get through the training and then, you know, that's it. That, that, yeah. that served its purpose. Moving on. <laughs> well, and, and that's a good segue into what we had discussed earlier with the Zian character and it's yeah. just this this terrible overplayed, especially in the 80s and here in the early 90s, this Asian cinematic trope where any Asian character is seen as this mysterious and mystical, powerful um, character. You know, in this, you know, he gives him this this advice that then sends him off to this Zen-like place. Uh, once uh, they're allowed to go back to their hotel for the for the fight, uh, Zian creates this mystical drink for david made with jungle leaves snake venom ripe caterpillars and chicken eyes i believed they asked uh, well, for. well there were uh, mouse tails too oh god okay now <laughs> so just ridiculous i mean this he... well again it completely removed the impact and effect of the entire you know your mind doesn't always travel with your body because now we've whipped up this super concoction that will reinvigorate David after that intense training session. Like you're, you're chopping your own legs out from yep. underneath you yep. throughout the film. And, and, you know, back to Zeon, like they do that weird thing, as you said, where they, they tropify him with this, you know, mysticism, but he's also the 
a comedic moment, you know, several times throughout the film. But then he's also kind of the moral center. Like when he, the one scene where they're trying to find Isabella and he goes to this other brothel and, you know, just that whole interaction with the madam at that brothel and clearly establishing him as, you know, having strong character and morals. It just, he was all over the place and so different from the previous movies. It just, yeah, yeah, I I was really thrown by him in this film. And his name was only mentioned once in the entire film. And that was in the very early scenes when they first arrived in Rio, which really bothered me as well. Really? Yep. Yeah. Huh. So there you go. Yeah. Um, So in another strange scene, uh, someone unknown to us, I, I didn't go back to the beginning to see if this person was in the early scenes, but Lane calls him Senior Vargas. Uh, he shows up to his compound, to Lane's compound, saying that he wants to bet all that Lane can. Um, because no, this he, guy came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I was like, wait, who? <laughs> yeah, because he wants Lane's compound, his whatever, resort, whatever he's running. And uh, Senior Vargas references the coffee exchange. So I assume that he's like a big shot coffee farmer in Brazil. I don't um, <laughs> Is that a thing in Brazil? Right, I didn't know. Yeah. I, it is in a lot of South America, yeah. but I, uh, I don't know if it's a huge export of Brazil. Right. Uh, and they don't even reference, Rob, what they're betting on. So the fight, I assume, but yeah. they don't talk about terms. They don't talk, <laughs> they don't <laughs> reference the fight. So as an audience, I mean, we are just completely. This had to be a um, a throw-in after the fact scene to up the ante because at one point he Lane makes a three to one odds bet with ten uh, betting ten thousand dollars, which yeah, for the evil villain of the film, ten thousand dollars shouldn't be that that big of a of a bet. Well, especially earlier in the film when he first propositions David, you know, telling him there's a lot of money to be made in Brazil, you know, and basically insinuates all you have to do is maybe throw a fight and a half million dollars could come your way. And now he's you know, betting 10 grand <laughs> right. with three to one odds. Like that math doesn't work. And also when they had Isabella at gunpoint, they had all the agency. And again, it doesn't ask David to throw the fight. Just asks them to show up. Just do what you're yeah. going to do anyway. Like that didn't make any sense. And then I'm just going to have you do a few training tasks that hopefully wears you down a bit. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Finally, Rob, we get to the big fight between Martine and David that nobody cares about because there's just no conflict built up between these two. Um, Rob, I love the music played during this final fight. It reminded me of something that would be playing in like an 8-bit Nintendo game when you're fighting the big boss at the end of a level. Like, Oh, yeah, now that you say that, that's exactly what it invokes. Every big hit is met with a, you know, da-da, super yeah. cheesy, like, you know, quick, quick hit. Um, I mean, Isabella's life is supposed to be on the line here. None of the production is matching the stakes of the narrative here. At all, yeah. Um, you know, earlier when Lane was making David run around with the backpack full of rocks and you referenced, you know, that, that it was a training montage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was supposed to be these, 
you know, tasks that were grinding him down to the point that he would barely be able to fight, not build him up. But yet we got training montage music along with the, yes. <laughs> those scenes. I'm like, wait, this is actually inspiring to watch. Not so yet yeah, a real disconnect between the music and the action on the screen. Well, and, and I have to say the, you know, the what we've been building towards his championship fight, man, the choreography is bad. Like, so much so, I was shocked because he has a martial arts background. Both of them did. Uh, um, Both did. Ian Jacklin, the, the, the character oh, playing Martin, too? does yeah. too. I, it, like, it seemed very slow and deliberate. And it just, I, I was like, what What happened between, you know, not that 2 was a good movie, but it was so much better than this. Yeah. In, in every aspect, you know, but I mean, we're ultimately we're here for martial arts and, and fight choreography, and it's just bad. I, do, I want I want a, a spinoff here. I want Kickboxer 9 to be more about Martine because I want to know more about this character. He was so ridiculous <laughs> in his uh, performance, and I love that in one sequence of moves where he bests David, he started doing the running man in the, in the middle of the ring. Did yeah. you catch that? <laughs> Yeah, he he should have been a bigger part of this movie. Uh, yeah, like his his um, goofiness in the ring and his charisma, like the, he deserved a bigger a bigger part in this. Um, it, and it's sad that we didn't yeah. get that. And it's funny because like yeah, you have just these two absolute goofballs. <laughs> yeah, that we're building towards the big fight between them, and you know we just it's. Oh, these guys couldn't be more goofy. And then, uh, like a good old-fashioned early 90s WWF wrestling match, Rob, we get a ref bump in the match. And the ref is accidentally knocked out, and Lane prevents the timekeeper from ringing the bell to stop the fight. So the fight then moves to the outside of the ring. Yeah, and chaos erupts. Yeah, and then David just promptly disposes of Martine in, in, I thought, a very... Uh, kind of anticlimactic fashion. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Not a lot of rules there in, in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, with, <laughs> despite you know the <laughs> despite the, a championship on the line, a world championship. Where <laughs> yeah. are all the officials that are uh, sanctioning the the world kickboxing championship bouts? Uh, okay, so in the meantime, Lane and his goon grab Isabella, and they're on the run and. Zian goes running after them, gets Isabella, and Lane escapes. And when Isabella tells David and Zian about the girls at Lane's mm-hmm. compound, which they're finally just, you know, learning about, they immediately go there and they comically like jog into the <laughs> into the room. And they seem to do that a lot in this movie where they kind of jog into uh, Yeah, it's like it's like the old action and and they right. just jog into into the the view of the camera I, i'm wondering again if sasha mitchell had a shouldn't i be running in this scene shouldn't it be like i was i'm in my jogging pants let yeah. me let me show everyone how athletic i am yes um okay so they jog into the room and they demand that the girls be set free and uh, lane finally gets his comeuppance when david beats him up and when Lane grabs a gun, you know, we think he's defeated, but no, he grabs a gun. And then young Marcos appears out of nowhere with the knife from the yeah. beginning of the movie. 
And that's our happy ending. A 10-year-old just stabbed and killed someone. Yeah, commits murder. And then we're just played off with some upbeat island music Mm -hmm. as uh, the inept cops joke uh, about drinking a lot of beer with David and Zian at the airport. At the airport. Um, Yeah, and and that scene was just so awkward. Like, he stabs him, is clearly, like, mortified by what he's done looking at the blood all over his hands. And then it's just kind of like it, uh, David makes some sort of passing statement. Yeah. It's never as good the, as it feels or <laughs> yeah. About the, the, the lifelong effect this will have on Marcos. Right. And then we just, yeah, time for jokes. Da, 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 play us off. There we go. A very predictable yet also unsettling end to kickboxer three. Yeah. Um, okay, so Rob, as we mentioned earlier, Kickboxer 3 didn't get a theatrical release, so there's not much as far as formal reviews of this film. So as expected, there's no official tomato meter score from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, it's time to find out what others are saying about this film, and it's time for your favorite part of each episode, yes. Rob. <laughs> what do you think the audience score is for Kickboxer 3 on Rotten Tomatoes from 1 to 100%? I, I hope it's it's 20%. So, so shockingly, there are more than 2,500 audience reviews Good Lord. on the movie uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. So that first surprised me. Yeah. And uh, the approval rating is, you're pretty close, 25%. Um, okay. which I got to be honest, I'm surprised it's that high. Still too high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so let's hear some of these, of, of these 2,500 reviews, which we painstakingly went through every one, I'm sure. Uh, let's, let's pluck a few of the best here. Alan C. gives it two stars and writes, Corny third entry in the Kickboxer franchise is not helped by having its star be Sasha Mitchell, who I still can't get past being the dumb brother on Step by Step. He was in the second film, and I'll admit that he's a decent martial artist, but I can't get past him being a doofus of an actor. The story follows the the kickboxer formula with the hero having to get revenge on an evil kickboxer for beating down a friend, though this film also has a good old Wallace Berry type of subplot. I think he meant Wallace Beery, the actor from the Golden Mm. Age of Hollywood known for playing villains. Um, with the kickboxing hero helping Brazilian street urchins, this film is certainly not something to go out of your way to see, but it is <laughs> nearly watchable if you enjoy formula boxing kickboxing films, which I do. And Rob, isn't nearly watchable what we're all looking for when picking a movie to watch? Um, yeah. However, spot on, Alan C., with that review. I mean, right along with everything that we talked about with uh, all of the uh, the Sasha Mitchell choices. Yes, yeah. But I, I, I have to take issue with his comments about the, the kickboxing aspect of it. I just thought that was bad, too. Well, I mean, there there was kickboxing in it. Well, yeah, it was. you got to see some. But right. uh, I guess, I guess if, that, if that's your bar, then, yeah, okay, it, it passes that. I guess that's where the nearly watchable part yeah. uh, comes into play for this film. Okay, um, 
let's uh, let's go on to the next review. Um, Rob, we've got a kickboxer historian here to help Ooh. us fill in some of the gaps. Please do. Heather R. gives it three stars and lets us know. Everything you might expect from a kickboxer sequel is here. David Sloan, Exotic Location, and Trainer Zian are all here. I want to remind everyone of the warehouse shootout to rescue Eric Sloan in the original that helps the mansion shootout in this sequel to not feel completely out of place in a movie <laughs> called Kickboxer. What is thoroughly missing is in Art of War is Tong Po and any memorable music. Not that music here is bad. It actually fits the setting quite well, but like I said, ultimately forgettable. The fight choreography is about on par with the second movie in the series, though filmed better, and the slow-mo motion effects are handled much better here. Okay, so thank you, Heather R., because it it has been a long time since I've seen the first Kickboxer, and I don't True. remember the warehouse shootout, and that did feel <laughs> really either. out of place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that was an intentional callback. <laughs> <laughs> by the screenwriters maybe somehow i, I doubt it <laughs> that's putting a lot into it and we already discussed the music i, I have to disagree with heather r here with the, with the music because yeah. there was music in the film yeah, but it was uh, there yeah okay finally rob uh the rotten tomatoes user private you uh has an issue with everybody giving this film a half star and writes Probably where the Wachowskis learned the art of making guns, fighting, and killing boring. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Even taking a shot at the Wachowskis. Yeah. That is some serious shade thrown there. So, uh, okay. Rob, let's put a bow on this thing. I have yes. an idea where you're going to fall on this scale, but um, let's, make the, let's make it episode official. I have to ask, is Kickboxer 3 Art of War? worth staying up all night for well i'll sum it up by saying this i hate it i hated it and i'm mad i had to watch it <laughs> so wow. a big fat no don't stay up for this one i think it is the worst movie we've watched so far mm. and i'll remind you we chose this film I know, and that's why I'm mad. <laughs> right, and you did say, I think, as soon as it got tossed out there, I think you did say something to the effect of, you know, it's really bad, right? Well, I had to, and that was solely based on... What you'd uh, heard, because, yeah, you hadn't even seen it. and you Yeah, knew what I'd heard, and, and knowing that two was, you know, markedly worse than one, mm -hmm. um, but uh, but my memory, if memory serves correctly, you know, I'd, I enjoyed... Um, at the time enjoyed to to a you know some degree i feel like there was significantly more kickboxing in that movie than we got here uh but you know memory doesn't always serve us so may maybe i'm wrong maybe that deserves a rewatch oh boy you are <laughs> self-masochist aren't you uh, <laughs> um yeah i okay so <clears throat> I have to preface this by saying that I loved this type of movie growing up, as we talked about, um, you know, as as a latchkey kid in the apartment complex of the southwest suburbs of Chicago. My friends and I would just just uh, absolutely consume all of the martial arts films yeah. that we could get our hands on. You know, we would just run straight to the action section at the video store and grab any box with a ninja or a dragon on it. And we were set for the rest of the day. 
So a couple of things at play here. One, which we've talked about a couple times on this podcast, is how our perception of movies changes with age. And obviously, a lot of those movies weren't high quality, so there's that. But I can still sit down and watch a lot of them today and be entertained. Oh, 100%. Uh, This movie, however... (laughs) isn't made in the same vein of those 80s martial arts movies that I love so much. Um, And we talked about this a little earlier, but this is a bad action movie with an occasional martial arts move in it. Yeah. And granted, it was made in 1992, so the the ninja genre had gone out of fashion by this point, morphing Mm -hmm. into more of an MMA style that would explode in popularity by the end of the decade. So, you know, out with karate, in with MMA, and what we had in the middle makes for just terrible cinema, trying to figure out <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing here? Are we doing, you know, long shootout, gun shootouts? Are we doing martial arts? Um, so uh, it, it is also, for me, a strong not worth staying up all night for. Uh, it had all the bad cinematic tropes you can, you can imagine for a film like this, The White Savior, the mystical Asian, who, despite being in almost every scene with David, w- was only mentioned, referenced by name once. Uh, it's just not good. And uh, Rob, yeah. we were we were looking for something a bit lighter this week, but we mm. went too far in the opposite direction. <laughs> Way too far. Yeah. And uh, as referenced earlier, um, Kickboxer Four is the only other film from the franchise to appear on Up All Night. So I doubt we'll be revisiting this illustrious franchise in the near future. Are you okay with that, Rob? I think so. You know, especially uh, considering he is in it, uh, Sasha is in it again, that I, I've, I've had my fill after this one. Yeah, absolutely. Don't want to go back to that well. Okay, mercifully, that is it for Kickboxer 3. And uh, until next time, we'll just... Uh, leave you with these uh, this words of wisdom to be careful if you go to a kickboxing charity event just beware of what type of creepy (laughs) characters might be lurking in the audience and if if you're desperate for kickboxing boxing action uh go watch anything that tony Ja is in um you know recent fairly recent stuff in the in the 2000s he's he's made three movies called ong bak and the story is kind of crazy in all three of them but man the action is some of the best you'll see and i think they're they're all on tubi or some of them are on tubi possibly good good advice and unfortunately you know don't turn to any film with kickboxer in the title even though you think that's exactly where you should turn so buyer beware for sure. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Still a Podcast. And uh, we will be back with uh, another episode. And we've, we're bound to top this no it matter what we choose. Movie, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, enjoy the, uh, the, so- the sounds from the fight sequence of the big battle between Martine yeah. and David Sloan. We'll see you next time. <laughs>